0: The sermon text for today is Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 34. Acts 16, verses 11 through 34. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following dates in Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God.
1: Let's pray. Father in heaven, may all of that kind of thing happen here in these twin cities and around the world. Amazing works of God. But here we are now, Lord, and we're wrapping up this little series, and I pray that treasuring Christ together, our little strategy that we have on this little tiny spot on the planet, will be understood, and for those who count this church home, may it be embraced with joy And may all of its needs for north campus, downtown campus, south campus be met. And met quicker than anybody thinks is possible. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, third and final message on this little three-part series on treasuring Christ together. The name that we've given the last five years or so to the strategy for fulfilling our mission as a church. Remember I, a couple of weeks ago, said, if you like cosmic flow charts, here's one. God, creator, infinite, immutable, absolute, no beginning, authoritative, under God, His word. He spoke and He inspired a book. And this book is our infallible, inerrant, sufficient charter for life and doctrine. And underneath that, leaders are called to try to distill this into livable words. Mission statements like, we exist... To spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. But you can't stay God, Bible, mission statement. It still doesn't have traction yet on the ground for how you do church. And so you add a strategy fourth element in the cosmic flow chart to that, and it goes like this the means by which we will pursue that mission statement is we will multiply campuses, plant new churches, and care for the poorest of the poor through what we call the global diaconate. Those three pieces. We will pursue lost people and manage growth by multiple campuses, not building a bigger one downtown. And we will pursue evangelism and pursue managing growth by planting new churches and we will keep our heart on the poorest of the poor around the world with what we call the global diaconate and in this last message the focus is on church planting and the global diaconate or the poorest of the poor first eight observations about church planting and eight observations about the poor. Number one, church planting. Number one, there are 195 million non-churched people in America making America one of the top four largest unchurched nations in the world. Number two, In spite of the rise of mega churches, no county in America that we know of has a greater church population than it did 10 years ago. Three, during the last 10 years, combined communicant membership of all Protestant denominations declined by 9.5%, while the national population increased by 11.4%. Number four, Each year, 3,500 to 4,000 churches close their doors forever, while only as many as 1,500 new churches are planted. Five, there are now nearly 60% fewer churches per 10,000 persons in America than there were in 1920. 1920, 27 churches for every 10,000 Americans. 1950, 17 churches for every 10,000 Americans. 1996, 11 churches for every 10,000 Americans. Number six, today, of approximately 350,000 churches in America, four out of five are either plateaued or declining Seven, one American denomination recently found that 80% of its new converts came in the churches that were less than two years old. Which leads, finally, number eight, to the observation by Peter Wagner and others, quote, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. This is not a small thing. Poverty. Eight observations about world poverty. One, 1.5 billion people around the world live on less than a dollar a day. Two, more than one billion people do not have access to clean water. Number three, Six million children die from malnutrition before their fifth birthday every year. Number four. More than 50% of Africans suffer from water-related diseases such as cholera and infant diarrhea. Five. More than 800 million people go to bed hungry every day. 300 million of them are children. Six. Of these 300 million children, only 8% are victims of famine or other emergency situations. More than 90% are suffering long-term malnutrition and micronutrient deficiencies. Seven, declining soil fertility and degradation and AIDS pandemic have led to a 23% decrease in food production per capita in the last 25 years, even though population has increased Dramatically, And eight, a woman living in sub-Sahara Africa has a one in 16 chance of dying in pregnancy. This compares with a one in 3,700 risk for a woman in North America. Now, these issues, church planting and uh, the poorest of the poor and the global diaconate, are very significant issues for those who follow Jesus. Would you not agree? They are amazingly easy to ignore in America. Amazingly easy. We're insulated and we're rich and we have all manner of comforts and security surrounding us to keep us from experiencing these things or knowing that people do. Now, one of the ways, and it's only one, that we have embraced as a church to help us not forget these facts is that every dollar that is given to Treasuring Christ Together, which is mainly designed to pay for our campuses, to buy the buildings, build out the buildings, pay the rent at the, at the south site, and so on, Every dollar given to treasuring Christ together on the second line of your envelope, month in and month out, is taxed. You don't have to use that phrase if you don't like it. Um, We take 10% of of every dollar and devote it to church planting, and 10% of every dollar that's given and devote it to caring for the poorest of the poor as God leads the team. So, if the brochure that you received... Last week in your folder and this week, if you're a member in the mail, if, if this were to happen, this $4 million thrust over the next 14 months, it would mean $400,000 would go to the poorest of the poor. And it would mean that $400,000 would go into church planting. And those statistics give some small indication of why that's a serious and good thing to do. Now, the reason I stress that those two ten 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 percent for church planting and ten percent for, for the global diaconate, are only one way that we think and act about reaching the lost with new church plants and relieving suffering through the global diaconate, is that the other 80% of every dollar that's given for treasuring Christ together goes to pay for campuses. Well, what, what are campuses? They're, they're churches. That is, they are places where churches gather. And what do they do when they gather? There are children, youth, adults, Men, women, singles, seniors, disabled, and all of them are being ministered to and being awakened and being equipped for ministry, worship ministries, racial harmony ministries, small group ministries, counseling ministries, evangelism and outreach ministries, mercy ministries, adoption ministries, pro-life ministries. World missions and a constantly emerging special focus ministries—just new ministries happening all the time as God burdens different people about different things. That's what campuses mean. And so, our prayer is that we 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 do worship like this, we preach, we teach, and we do dozens and dozens of kinds of. Ministry which turn people into lovers of lost people and lovers of hurting people, near and far. That's the goal of campuses. So when eighty percent goes to to spread the church to Burnsville and Moundsview and West and and East someday, the point is not that that's different than the goals of church planting in the global diaconate. You just have to pay for buildings somehow, and the way we do it is by this ongoing line called treasuring Christ together. So, in other words, treasuring Christ together has the two things. It plants, multiplies campuses where people are being made into radical lovers who can plant churches and care for the poor, and then it does that directly by siphoning off 10% for one and 10% from the other for every dollar that comes in just so that we cannot slip in to a building mania and always have to think, okay, it might be nice if all of this dollar paid down that debt, but we won't have it. We've taken 10% for church planting and 10% for the global diaconate, and that's the way treasuring Christ together works. So, when we thought about these things as a leadership years ago, where would we go in the Bible to find illumination and inspiration concerning church planting and the global diaconate? Where would we go? One of the places we went was Acts 2 in one of the most amazing Stories of church planting in the Bible. And 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 3, where the church planted in Acts 16 becomes the global diaconate for the poor saints back in Jerusalem. And a, a big circle is cut. So the Macedonian church is planted in Acts 16... Paul writes about them and their amazing generosity for the poor in 2 Corinthians 8. And now we're back in Jerusalem where things still aren't working. (laughs) Remember last week's sermon? we got this organization. We're going to make church happen for 10,000 people in Jerusalem. And I said it didn't work, so they had to fix it in chapter 6. Well, here we are 20 years later. It's still not working. Because they got to have money from the churches that Paul is planting in order to just survive in Jerusalem. Something's wrong. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 16? The church in Jerusalem helped plant the church in Antioch. We know that from chapter 11. They sent Barnabas down there. Some Things were happening because people had gone there because of the suffering that had happened because of Stephen and a church had come into being amazingly and so they send... Son of encouragement, Barnabas, and Barnabas goes there and spots what the need is. We need Saul. So he goes up and he gets Saul and they come down and for years they work together in Antioch to take this baby church and turn it into a what? A missionary sending base. And in chapter 13, this church now a few years old fasts and prays and they send their best teachers away, namely Barnabas and, and Saul or Paul to do the first missionary Work and then later on, there's this falling out. See how everything breaks down, falling out between Barnabas and and uh, and Paul, and they can't get their act together, and so they split up sad, sad from the get-go. This church has been this way. We're this way. You're this way. We can't figure out how to love as we ought to love. But God blesses imperfect people. So now you got Paul and Silas doing their thing, and you've got Barnabas and whoever he has going to do his thing, and two missionary trips instead of one because they couldn't agree on how to treat John Mark. So here we're picking it up on the second missionary journey, and Paul... Here's a vision. Come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, here's Turkey, here's Greece, and this little jump over there is Macedonia. So Macedonia is northern Greece, where Philippi is as the main city, and a little farther down, Thessalonica. And that's where we're picking it up here in verse 12. Verse 12 talks about the chief city in Macedonia being Philippi, and Paul now Is going to plant a church because there are no Christians in Philippi that we know of, or at least there's no church that we know of. So he he crosses over. What do you do? How do you start? Where do you even go? And you go to a ladies prayer meeting. Right. (laughs) Go to a ladies prayer meeting by the river. So let's pick it up at verse 13. On a Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So that's a good place to start. Let's see if God will do something here. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. So this is a businesswoman who was a worshiper of God. That means she was a Gentile and she went to the synagogues and, and, and worshiped the Jewish God as a Gentile. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So first member of the first church of Philippi is a businesswoman and her household. Number two. On his way through the city. Day after day, Paul ran into a problem. This girl, demon possessed and used by her owners to make them money because she could evidently tell fortunes in this demonic way, kept feeling her spirit stirred. These men are servants of the most high God. She's, she, the devil in her is recognizing these guys are They are real, the true God speakers, and this is coming out of her prophetic mouth, which is annoying Paul. Very, very much. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Verse 17. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that went on for days, Paul said. So he didn't act right away. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Implication now in the next verse is she couldn't tell fortunes anymore or wouldn't. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So I have to assume something here may not be true but my assumption is she got saved <laughs> I'm free they don't know me anymore they don't control me anymore I don't have a demon anymore isn't she gonna want to know Jesus it was in the name of Jesus that he cast out this demon so I'm assuming member number two in the first church of Philippi is a demon possessed slave girl okay now number three the uproar gets Paul and Silas into deep trouble over this over this girl, and uh, God knows exactly what He's doing in getting Paul into trouble in this way. He's after one more member of the church, and He knows where He is and what He does. He's a jailer. How do you get to a jailer? Well, get your get your apostle in jail. Huh? <laughs> Let's read that. Verse twenty-five. Supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And member number three in the first church of Philippi was a city employee, namely the jailer. That's all we hear about how the church of Philippi, Macedonia, was planted. A businesswoman, kind of a nominal Jew, um, a slave girl, demon possessed, and a a jailer. And God God does this. Chapter 16, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord, in the name of Jesus, verse 18, delivers the woman. In the name of Jesus, come out of her. Not my name. I can't control demons. Jesus is stronger than demons. So Jesus saves her. And earthquakes were not caused by Paul. They were caused by God. So God saved Lydia. God saved the demon-possessed girl. And God saved the jailer. God was after these people. That's really encouraging to church planters. We can't save anybody. But God has plans. Everywhere you go, every neighborhood you go into, God's after people. Just wants to use you. If you'll be there, if you're willing to be beaten with rods and thrown in jail, you can save a jailer. If you're willing to go hang out with some women by the river, you might find one of them has been prepared by the Lord. If you're willing to turn around and open your mouth and renounce Satan in the life of a demon-possessed slave girl and risk getting yourself in big trouble, then the Lord will deliver people through your mouth. That's wonderful church planting, isn't it? So I praise God for Paul and Silas, and this is a great, great story. That same power, Bethlehem, that same power is here today. This is Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just looking for people who will put themselves utterly at his disposal and take risks with their lives in reaching out to businesswomen, demon-possessed, and jailers. That's what he's looking for. So there's a... Church planting peace. We saw that as elders. I mean, I, I saw that and I said, God help us do that. Help us be that and help us plant that. Now here's the interesting part. Years later, some years later, Paul is taking up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. He says that at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says it's in Romans 15. Uh, it's mentioned here and there in the New Testament that, that there was trouble in, in Jerusalem. The saints weren't making it somehow. Perhaps serious persecution. They had been driven out. Who was left? Maybe the poorest of the poor were left and they, they needed help. So Paul had promised Peter by shaking his hand, we will remember the poor as we do our ministry. And he's taking this collection. Well. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and I invite you to turn to Second Corinthians 8. He's writing this letter to, to the Corinthians, and he's trying to do what I'm trying to do in these three messages, motivate them to give, <laughs> okay? No, no secret here. I would like you to give $4 million in the next 14 months. That's what I want to happen, or more, like 10 maybe. I'd like to see us move on the South Campus way earlier than we think we can. So I'm doing Second Corinthians in these three messages, Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are all about motivating the Corinthians to give generously, freely, lovingly, sacrificially. So how does he motivate them? Well, in the first three verses of chapter 8, he motivates them with an example from Macedonia. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Lydia and this girl. It was delivered from the demons and the jailer and whoever else has gotten saved in the meantime. Philippi was Paul's favorite church. This church sent him money. This church supported him. He loved this church. He wrote the most happy letter in the New Testament to this church, Philippi. Now, I want you to see the most beautiful picture I've ever seen of any new church in the first three verses of Second Corinthians chapter 8. Let's read it together. And I just want to be this. I want to be this as a person. And I want us to be this way as a church. We want you to know, brother. So now, that's you Corinthians. Okay? We want you Corinthians to know about the grace of God that has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Well, there are only two that we know of. There may have been more. Thessalonica and Philippi. And Philippi was the big city, main city. So he's talking about Lydia and the girl that we don't know her name and the jailer and others. I want you to know about the grace of God that was that's given in the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction That's not surprising, is it? I mean All they did was call for the authorities when he had cast the demon out of the girl, and they beat them with rods. He didn't get a trial or anything. They just beat them in the public square and then threw them in jail. That's what happened to Paul. So that sort of thing is going on, it looks like. Not easy to be a Christian in Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy which is not rooted in circumstance at all, it seems like, because of affliction, and their extreme poverty. wonder what happened to Lydia. She was a businesswoman, didn't Well, who knows what happened to Lydia? She may be dead. Her children may have become so angry at her. I mean, it says it baptized her house bowl, but... Maybe somebody just robbed her blind. We don't know. I'm just speculating that extreme poverty marked this church. The jailer, the demon-possessed girl, and Lydia, and those around them were not wealthy people. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Isn't that amazing? Their affliction... And their poverty in joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. No coercion here. Neither at Bethlehem nor there. No coercion. Just plea. Begging us... Now, this is the poor people who are afflicted, begging Paul, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Evidently, Paul had known their poverty, known their affliction, and told them they'd given enough, and they begged to let them give more. These people are really strange. Wonderful people. The kind of people I'd like to be, so that if if I have affliction in my life, whether natural affliction or externally brought from unbelievers' affliction. If I'm, if I'm poor, if I ever become destitute, I hope I will be like this. And my joy will be so abundant in grace coming down that I will never cease to be a lavishly generous giving person. And I will eagerly ask for the privilege of giving more Not less. That's Lydia and a former demon possessed slave girl and a jailer and others. That's what they had become extreme poverty, much affliction, wealth of generosity. And so the sum of of treasuring Christ together is that we, we got glimpses like this. Glimpses of how they loved the poor and cared for the poor and were lavishly generous to the poor. They were a brand new church or they had once been a brand new church and they're still poor and they were still afflicted. So you get church planting. You have lavish uh, generosity for the poor. Paul takes it back to Jerusalem and the circle is completed. Jerusalem plants Antioch. Antioch sends Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas plant Philippi. Philippi gives generously to the poor saints. Paul takes it back to the church in Jerusalem. An amazing cycle of love and sacrifice. Amazing. And I want to be in that loop somewhere with Jesus. And I think treasuring Christ together is an essential part of that for us here at Bethlehem. Churches planted by the power of God's grace the poor and the afflicted people there giving and giving freely and unselfishly and lavishly being that kind of people and planting those kinds of churches is what treasuring Christ together means to me. Um, The brochure that you, if you're part of Bethlehem received last week and then were sent again, at least we got ours in the mail this week is there. And, uh, I just want to make sure you understand that uh, the first three panels or two panels here describe what would be done with $4 million if God enabled us to give it in the next 14 months, the rest of this year, and then all of next year. That's what we would spend it on right there on that column. And if you didn't get one of these, you can pick one up out there in the main hall, or you can go online. This is PDF online. You can read it. You can print it out. Uh, and then this last column here, hope you can't read it, um, is, is Noel and my pledge or commitment or whatever you want to call it. And we sat down a couple of times this week and, and talked about what can we do the rest of this year and what can we do next year. And, and that's what I hope a lot of you have done. Or if you didn't get around to it, we'll do. There's no deadline on these. Um, when, when you leave, when you leave all the services, Uh, Downtown Sunday morning and north Sunday morning. uh, There will be either ushers or boxes or something, so take heed, ushers, that you'll be available. And here, there are three boxes, and I'm just going to encourage the ushers, one there, one there, one there. They're little wooden canisters that they'll be available, and and you could put it in there, or you can hand it to an usher, or if you'd rather just more quietly mail it in, that's what we would encourage you to do. I'm going to hold on to mine and then after the, the second service down south tomorrow, I will tear it and uh, put it in a plate down there when I leave. When I pray and close here on the video, on all, all the campuses, we're going to sing Be Thou My Vision. It has that great verse in it about being our treasure. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Thou and Thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure Thou art. And when we get to that verse, I just pray, and I pray that you'll pray, that it be true for us, that we treasure the King, more than we treasure any strategy, any church, any wife or husband or children, or money especially. And if we treasure him like that and we ask his guidance, he'll make plain, how much money do you give to budget? (laughs) How much money do you give to T.C.? I don't know. Ask the Lord. He'll guide you. We're going to need huge giving to the budget and missions. We're going to need huge giving to T.C.T. and and God is a huge God. And so it won't it won't be a a reluctant burden to anybody if we're resting in Him. So Father, thank you for Bethlehem. I've walked through these seasons a dozen times in the last twenty-eight years as we have paid and paid and paid for more and more. Churches, more and more missionaries, more and more poverty, and more and more buildings, yes. And so, Lord, I have every confidence that you will fulfill your promise. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We believe that treasuring Christ together is one of the good works that we are called to do as a people, and so I have deep confidence that every need of treasuring Christ together will be met. I simply ask you to move in your people's hearts to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.